up, everybody? This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org, and I'm your host, Dave Stovall. Today, we've got David Rokup from TCM International talking to us about lay leaders. Both men and women leaders can very effectively lead formal discipling groups on their own. This episode explains how to prepare and motivate lay leaders to accept the challenge to lead life-changing groups by themselves. You know, this is similar to what we hear from Steve McCoy with Small Circle. The fact that if disciple-making isn't reproducible by the regular church member, then it's not going to work. Disciple-making is not just for the church staff person. If it only lives there, then it will also die there. Let's let David teach us how to get those lay leaders involved in making disciples themselves. Enjoy the episode, everybody. Good afternoon, everyone. It's great to see everybody after lunch here, and uh, but glad you came today. And uh, let me just share with you that I'm in the at, at the end of a four-year experiment at the church where I attend. Four years ago, we started a men's discipling ministry, a very focused, very purposeful men's ministry. And uh, we're not quite where we need to be yet, but we're learning a great deal. And uh, we started the group four years ago. We had a group of eight. And then we had two groups with about about 14 in them. And then another two groups, same kind of two groups the next year, our third year. And going from the third year to the fourth year, we, we went from two men's groups to eight groups this year. And with the looks of things, uh, we're hoping for maybe as many as 20 groups this coming fall. So we have 42 men in groups right now. And we'd love to have maybe as many as 80 men this coming uh, September in our men's discipling groups. I'll share with you in our time together the key component after the Holy Spirit in prayer, the key component to having a really good, authentic, uh, uh, transformational men's and women's discipling group uh, in this hour today. This is what we're going to talk about. Let me also mention that you really need to do this with men, obviously. Don't forget, though, uh, to make sure you have the same type of ministry for women as well. You know, women desperately need this, and they're the backbone of most congregations, and so we need to make sure they're getting the same content. Before we plunge into the outline, though, let's do the most important thing we're going to do in our time here together today, and let's just seek the Lord and ask Him to bless our time together. Okay, pray with me, if you would. Holy Father, we want to thank You for this opportunity to share in this time together. Jesus, we know that You knew every educational philosophy that would ever be known, And we simply want to study what you did and do that here in in our culture. We pray, Father, today that the Holy Spirit would be the teacher in this class and that the Lord Jesus Christ would fill us with exactly what we need today. Father, I want to pray for every person in our room that you would give them personally exactly what they need uh, in terms of being a good discipler for, for men or for women. So, Father, we commit this hour to you and we lay it in your hands, praying you would bless us as we work together. Father, we love you, and we honor you today in our hearts, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, I'm assuming that many of you have a pretty good background when it comes to discipling, you know, a good definition of what discipling is, how it's done, the ins and outs, and so forth. Uh, If you need a good background, the session we did just before lunch uh, handles all of the definitions of words, and we took a very in-depth look at at, at Jesus' seven steps to how he actually discipled the 12 and how we can apply that to the American culture. So if you'd like to pick that, uh, pick that uh, spot up and listen to it, 
might be beneficial for you. In building these four seminars, the third one I wanted to do <clears throat> deals with the quite possibly the number one most significant problem we have in putting together a church-wide discipling ministry. I shared with our group <clears throat> last hour that I was invited uh, four years ago by our minister to do a three-hour seminar for an elders retreat. I go to First Church of Christ in Burlington, Kentucky, just right across the river from Cincinnati. We run about 2,200 on a good Sunday with all three of our locations. And I went, talked to the elders, and at the end of the elders' three-hour session, I saved a half an hour. And I said to them, you know, our church, honestly, is pretty healthy where we are right now, really. Good attendance, three good, three good sites all going. Financially, we're okay, pretty strong, um, have a pretty good staff. I said, there are no real major problems we're facing right now, but let me tell you, there's a method we could use that five years from now would literally transform our, no, 10 years from now would totally transform our church. I think 10 years from now, if we all really jumped in on this and did it carefully, I believe our main problem would be, do we just start setting up multi-sites all over northern Kentucky, or do we build a 5,000-seat auditorium? Uh, that, that's how this is going to affect our church. And, uh, and so if, if that's encouraging to you, and you might say, well, okay, so what is the magic sauce, the secret sauce here that my church in 10 years could be running five times what we're running now? Well, a big piece of it is helping the members of your church to grow up spiritually. You know, not to spend a lot of time on this, but I will tell you that the number one problem we face in the evangelical church in America was penned by Juan Carlos Ortiz a number of years ago in his book, Disciple, when he wrote and said that the number one problem in the American church is the perpetual childhood of the believer. The perpetual childhood of the believer. And you, you know, most of you know the drill. <clears throat> Somebody comes down the stairs with their hair still damp from the baptistry. We greet them at the bottom of the stairs, minister, elders, some friends, family, and so forth. And uh, they come down, we extend to them the right hand of Christian fellowship. You know, welcome to our church. Uh, here is your baptismal certificate, suitable for, suitable for framing. Here's a Bible for you as well. And uh, if it's older church, of course, we have a box of on offering envelopes waiting for them. Get, get them started right, you know, get, get them right, right out of the chute here. And we say your Sunday school class is room 106 right down the hall. And uh, are, are you okay? Hey, do, doing all right. Okay, well, great. Well, welcome to our church and just have a great, uh, have a great time here, you all. That is the assimilation ministry for 95% of our churches. That's it, you know. And Barna says that when you have that type of a situation set up, what happens is um, six Sundays after that person is baptized, they're either on down the street at the Baptist or Evangelical Free Church, or they're not even attending church anywhere, you know. So what we need to have desperately is an assimilation ministry set up in our church. And you all, let me just tell you, I teach a class on assimilation and development of church members. It just isn't rocket science. It's not that hard, you know, to have a starting place um, in the game Monopoly. There's a great big black arrow on the first square. So when the person comes down the stairs from the baptistry, on the floor is a great big square in the linoleum there. It says, here's the very first thing you do. It's called, it's called a new members class. And we put a dozen people together in that class, hopefully, hopefully that they will become a small group once the class is over. And then the next step is to get them onto a ministry team somewhere, then get them, get them into a short-term mission trip. 
If you want to light somebody's fire, have, have them do something. like. And there's a whole process that you lay out that's staffed with volunteers from the church. And, uh, and, and it, it just is not that difficult, you know. And I just wish that uh, every single Christian church would really take the time to think that through and to have the very best assimilation ministry they can. Now, the cream, the cream uh, uh, of the whole thing is to have an effective, formally relational discipling ministry for men and one for women as well. Remember, small groups are different than discipling groups. Small groups, uh, married couples meeting together, that kind of a thing, singles. Uh, they're different in that uh, a discipling group is men with men, women with women. You know, for sure. You, you have to have it divided that way uh, for positive. And, and that's kind of the, 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 the icing on the cake. And you establish that small group ministry. Sometimes people will say, um, if we're going to go with discipling groups, do we really need a small group ministry as well? And the answer to that is absolutely, because your small group, your small groups are the major recruiting ground for men and women in your discipling groups. And so you need to have a very strong small group ministry as well to fortify any of the, any of the discipling things you want to do. So what is the number one major problem then in having a church-wide, um, small, uh, a church-wide discipling ministry? It's finding people who will be leaders, finding people who will lead groups. You know, and how do you recruit them? Uh, how, how do you train them? Various things like that. Um, in light of that fact, then, the very best advice I can give you when you're starting a, pro a ministry like this is uh, uh, go slow, start small, and go deep. That's exactly how you get started. Start small, go slow, and go deep. In uh, Four years ago, we started with one men's group. I had six guys and myself who met together for 10 months and did a special special approach that we're using now. If you'd like to know the actual approach we're using in, in the meetings and with the guys, uh, I have one more session this afternoon, and we'll be giving out information on that in the forms that you need the covenant. We ask everybody to sign, and an example of the sheet that guys fill out, men and women fill out on a regular basis for our meetings, I'll give that out to you and give you all the background on that. But the whole key, bottom line, is you can have 10, 10 women's groups, but who, who's going to lead those? Where do you find the women, the women to lead? Well, just do this. The very best way I know, start out with even just one group. Um, I know some, some churches that learn about how to do this, and they've got really a large group of really uh, quality men and women who are pretty far along, you know, they're doing well spiritually. You could organize and start out with four or five groups if you have the leaders to, to be able to do that. The thing that I love about the information we're giving out in the next session is simply this. Um, for years and years, we struggled with how do you disciple a group of men and then have them disciple others? You know, so I would disciple a group of guys and say, okay, now we need to have you take groups next fall. And, and every man in the group would say, I, I, I can't do that. You know, uh, friend, I, I don't have eight hours a week to spend building a lesson for a, a discipling group ministry. And uh, we were really struggling with that and trying to find a system until one of my former students, whose name is Micah Oder, uh, who was a discipleship minister in, in a mega church in Cincinnati, just came up with a strategy after taking my class and just started doing it in his church very slowly. And about the third year, all of a sudden, they got traction, you know, and I don't know how many hundreds of people now they have in small groups at his church. Uh, we've taken his model and modified it a little to fit who we are 
And uh, I will just tell you that it's the mo absolutely the most effective means I've ever find to have ever found to train people who would be leaders leaders in the church. And let me just kind of unroll to you what we found out, uh, how you can apply it to where you are right now. And the reason I love this approach is that it is transferable to lay, lay people. Lay people who do not have a Bible college background can do the system we're using uh, without, without any problem. Not to get ahead of myself here, but in, in our group we had last year, you know, I, there were seven guys and myself. I said to them, probably the middle of February, 1st of March, I said, now you know from the very first time I talked to you about being in a D group that your agreement was that you would lead a D group on down the line. You would be a leader. And we introduced that idea very first, and that's where we are. So I so said, we're getting ready to think about this coming fall. All seven of you, you know, are level four or level five leaders. You know, uh, you know I, had, I had a group of stallions. I mean, these guys were incredible. You know, military guys, policemen, guys who were high in business, owned their own businesses. I said, all of you, every man in this room can lead a group. And so I, I want you to think about how you're going to do that. All seven of them said, we can't do that. And I said, no, actually, you can. Uh, every one of you can do it. And they said, no, no. One of the guys said, what if somebody asks uh, ask us a question and we don't know the answer? What are we going to do about that? And I said, there's a very easy way to handle that. Just look at them and say these words. I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> yes, I me, mean, this hard question. I, I, I don't know the answer to that. I'll find out. And it's okay to do that. You don't have to be, you know. Uh, have a, a doctorate in New Testament to figure out that you can just tell people, I need help getting some, I need some time getting help, but I will answer that. I said, that's all you have to do. And the thing that I love about what we're doing right now is that it's completely transferable to lay people in that when, when the guys told me that none of them could do a group this year, I went to prayer and I said, Lord, I'm just not sure I've done, I don't know how to break this. I don't know the secret sauce here to get, get these guys and you I don't know how you perceive the Lord speaking to you. Uh, I have charismatic friends who hear the voice of God, and, and, I, and they have every, every right to have that experience. I think that's fine. I, I've never heard the voice of God audibly, but I will tell you that the Lord speaks into my spirit on a regular basis. You know, And I had that talk with my group, and then I was in prayer about it. And in my prayer time, the Lord said to me, Dave, Dave, wait, wait. You know, I don't know why you're not seeing the solution to this. It's right there in the Word. You know, you're trying to get leaders to lead groups. Every time I sent leaders out to do ministry, I sent them out in teams. You know, so why don't you have people co-lead groups out of the groups, the guys that you have? Have two leaders and four men, two leaders, two women and four women. That'd be an excellent group. So I went back to my group the next meeting, and I said to them, Okay, you told me that you couldn't lead groups this coming fall. I have an idea. Let me ask you this. What if you co-led groups? If two of you found four guys and, and, and ran groups in that way, you co-led, just take turns leading, leading the actual group meeting every other week. Do that. And all seven of the guys said, we can do that. Yes. You know. And so last year we had two groups. This year we have eight groups. You know. And, and I hope again for 20 this coming, this coming September. But one of the major keys was just having people divide up into twos and lead groups along those lines. Uh, it's, it's working for us like crazy right now. So the ability to have lay people replicate and lead groups themselves is the mammoth hurdle 
that you have to figure out. And we've taken one step closer. I still, I still don't think we're there. We still need some more time to work out some of these chinks, but, but things have really come together for us in this fourth year. So I would say this, if you're a pastor or a minister here, and you would really love to see this happen, if you're a women's ministry lady in charge of your women's ministry uh, or a men's ministry man, something like that, one of the key elements is this. Uh, you need to make from when you begin your ministry a minimum of a five-year commitment to the church to be there because I'm not sure you can really set this up, get it healthy, and get it re really producing in any less than five years. Or I really believe that's true. Someone might say, oh, five years? Wow! Like, you know, that that's a long time to put a program together, and I admit that it is. The question, though, is do you want to raise summer squash or do you want to grow oak trees in your ministry? You know, you want something that's going to be lasting in 20 years from now, as many ministries still going on, or am I just interested in, in a 13-week Bible study and some quick results? That's why I, I would ask you, would you be willing to stay where you are for at least the next five years, invest yourself in what we're talking about, and really see, see the incredible results that happen uh, as, as, as part of a, uh, a, a, a discipling group ministry. Our key verse today, of course, you could almost guess this, is 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these things to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. And that's the idea. Brothers and sisters, let me share with you from my heart today. I really believe that we have the capacity to take cities for Jesus Christ. I think the Holy Spirit is willing to do that. I think we have the ability to do that. You know, the, I think the overwhelming point is if we depend on the salaried people in our churches, our ministers, to make that happen, it's never going to happen. It, it's too much work for the people we're paying to do ministry. Unless the lay people of our churches rise up and say, if you train me, I will serve. If you train me, I, I, I will use my abilities for the church. When we get that going, you know, do you have any idea the sleeping giant which is in our pews every single Sunday? The quite, quite possibly the hundreds of people with massive abilities and talents. You know, and I'm, I, don't, I don't mean to be negative about this, but we have, you have a guy in the church who handles a $67 million budget every year with 500 employees. That's what he does for a living. When he comes to church, we ask him to pass out bulletins, you know, to stand at the door and be a greeter. I'm not down on greeters. I think greeters will be in heaven. I really believe that. <laughs> they will for their service. But I, I will just tell you that we, we, we desperately need to understand that the sleeping giant that's out there in the pews, if we could ever awaken that giant, I'm just telling you, it's, it's pretty incredible what, what could happen. And uh, I know I'm afraid that you're sitting there saying, yeah, OK, you're talking about churches taking cities. Yeah. You know, if you're a, if you're a seminary professor, not down here in the trenches with us, it's really easy to be able to stand up there and say, yes, well, we're going to we're going to take, uh, you know, take cities for Christ. Uh, I just I just don't want to spend a lot of time on this. Let me just mention that um, 1990 to 2001, uh, I was on the board of directors for a men's ministry called Promise Keepers. And uh, was one of the eight guys that met at a Perkins Pancake House with Bill McCartney. And uh, we, we founded and started PK, one of the most exciting 11 years of my whole chapter, my whole life, you know. And I had prayed and prayed for years <clears throat> that God would bring a revival 
to our country. And I stopped believing it would ever happen. I kept praying, but I stopped really believing it would ever happen. And y'all, we would start out a Promise Keepers conference Friday night, Saturday, one of the NFL stadiums. In 1996, we had 1.4 million men, 22 NFL stadiums all over the country, you know. And I would run down to the front at the end of the evening service on Friday night. We would always start by preaching a sermon. Here's how to accept Jesus as your Savior. As if you haven't done that, not a lot we talk about is going to make any, any sense to you. So you need to accept Christ tonight. And I would run down to the stage as we were singing the invitation hymn. And y'all, I just, I wish you could have been there with me to see what I saw. I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of men coming forward, you know, not, not because of anything we did. It was an incredible movement of the Holy Spirit. They would come down, down, come forward. They would fall down on the ground. And just start sobbing and sobbing. Guys would come and say, man, I've been horrible to my wife. I'm, I'm repenting of my sins. You know, we, we had one guy who was, he left his wife and moved in with a secretary. Left his wife and three kids. Moved in with a secretary. His boss came to him about four months later and said, I bought you a ticket to an event at the football stadium. And you're going with me this weekend. And he said, well, I kind of have plans. And he said, no, you don't. No, you, here's your plan. You're coming with me because I've already bought your ticket. So brought him, and at the end of Saturday evening, this guy was broken into a hundred pieces. Again, by the power of fasting and prayer and the movement of the Holy Spirit. He w w went back to their workplace with his boss, got his car. It was 11 o'clock at night, drove to his old house where his wife was living, went up on the porch, rang the doorbell, you know, 11 o'clock. She comes to the door. He gets on his knees. And he begs her to forgive him. And, and they're, they're still married today. You know? Yeah, and I'll tell you, that's one out of 10,000 of those stories that I could tell you. See, my problem is that I, I've seen it. I've seen what I believe can really happen in our churches and in our movement. I've seen it with my own eyes. I experienced it. You know, seeing, I just remember so vividly, an old man, probably 85 years old, with a walker, it had a son on either side. One of the sons was carrying his oxygen bottle. And then two or three grandsons on either side of that. I just remember standing there at, up by the stage and seeing this group coming, inching their way down to the front, you know, to meet the Lord and to repent of their sins. You know, I'll tell you all, I just think that the Holy Spirit goes, goes down street after street after street of some of our main cities saying, saying, if there was a group of people here who believed that I could do what I can do, I'm willing to move. I'm willing to do amazing things. If there was somebody who just believed and would ask me, uh, ask me to make this happen. That's why when we look at the city of Indianapolis, the massive plethora of churches all over the city, Cincinnati, Ohio, Dallas, uh, Texas as well. The list just goes on and on of places that have the capacity to really usher in a revival. And uh, while it's not happening yet, although there are thousands of us praying for that, it's not happening yet, I really believe that I, that I could live to see, see it again. I really think so. And I believe that helping our people to grow up through the discipling ministry is absolutely one of the main ways that that could actually take place. So I hope you'll pray with me and with a ton of other people who are really praying for that, that very thing. So what I wanted to do was offer you ideas, suggestions, maybe some guidelines about how do you actually take the people that you are responsible for, lead them to the place where they can lead 
discipling groups on their own with your shepherding and with your guidance. It all begins with number one here with prayer and fasting. It has to be the foundation for sure. So if you're putting together, excuse me, a discipling ministry in your church, please make sure that the people who are helping you do this are bathing this entire event in prayer. I would also really encourage you to be fasting as well. When you put prayer and fasting together, it just empowers the whole request that you're making. So you start with prayer and fasting, asking the Lord to lead this entire effort, to open doors for you, you know, to give you ideas, to help you be discerning as you're doing this. I would ask Him to lead us to people who are hungry, to men and women who would really like to have this level of experience. The life of the discipler must be characterized by, I think, five following elements. If you're going to disciple a group of people yourself, I think these five things need to be in my heart and in my life. First of all, I need to be a man or a woman of the Word of God. I need to be feeding myself every single day uh, on the Word. Secondly, I need to be cultivating my prayer life as well, working on my prayer life. Uh, I would love to see you begin to weave fasting into your regimen. If you haven't started the fasting discipline yet, I understand. It isn't part of our church, and it's not part of our culture uh, very much so. You know, but for you to learn about how to fast and just begin slowly making this a part of who you are, I'm just telling you, it will add massive fiber uh, to what you're doing. Uh, Bobby Harrington uh, asked myself and one of his elders, who was a student of mine at TCM, Mike Eagle, to write a book under 100 pages dealing with prayer and fasting and make it as practical as possible, he said. So it's very practical through the prayer section. The section on fasting, there's a lot of great Bible content in there, but the main thing we did in that section was to say, if you've never fasted before, here is a step-by-step approach that will get you started. And some of the best feedback we've had overall from anybody is we read the section on fasting, and it was so clear how we could begin. And so we just started one step at a time, started working into that. So that book's on sale downstairs at a number of different places, if that would be a benefit to you. Uh, I think a life characterized by obedience, of course, is so critical. And then living in a, in a spirit of genuine humility, and the way of a humble spirit, we have a towel and a basin in our hands as we walk into our ministry. And we uh, just understand that I am there to serve everybody who's here. I'm the main servant for everybody who's here, that kind of an attitude. I'd like to just mention Zechariah 4.6. I'm sure you've even preached on the scripture several times. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And brothers and sisters, let me tell you, the Holy Spirit and His power is the main driving force we need in terms of this kind of a ministry. Number two on your outline is cultivating relationships being the basis for training leaders who will raise up disciples. I'm just speaking here to you out of my experience. This is what we did. I found out that the guys that I had built a relationship with in a D group that I had, you know, other guys that I knew in our congregation where I'd spent time with, uh, those were the guys we brought into the group uh, originally and working with them, cultivating them. How do you recruit people to become members of groups and to become leaders of groups? Uh, you start by using the relational web that you have. Start by the relationships you already have. People who know your heart, they trust you. Those are the people that I would try to start with for sure. I would try to get formal times together, get informal times together, uh, just building relationships. That, that's one of the main on-ramps for sure. 
Number three, the lead team of the church should be on board. Um, when I shared with the elders about this idea, they called me and said, you know, several of, several of us are very disturbed by that last half hour of the three-hour session you did with us, you know, kind of got us stirred up. We thought we were doing pretty well, and um, this would help us, and we have no idea how to start. And I said, well, if you'll give me permission, I'll go ahead and get us started and work you into it. Right now, we have nine elders. Seven of the nine are involved in, a, in our discipling ministry right now. Four of them are leading groups, you know, and man, that, that's pure gold. In terms, of, uh, in terms of how to get started. So um, making sure that the elders, the staff know, if you, if you listen to what we're doing and you're not a paid minister and you really feel convicted by the Lord that you need to go back and start a D group, for goodness sakes, go to your preacher, tell him you went to the seminar, make him a, making a copy of this outline and tell him that you would actually like to start doing this under the protective umbrella of the eldership of the church. If you're not doing anything going rogue, you know, you want to come under the guidelines and the elders and their authority and their prayer for you, make sure. Uh, I just can't imagine an eldership would say, no, we don't want our people going deeper. <laughs> we really want, just, we're okay with where they are now, you know. Um, but just be careful, be careful that you're not perceived as somebody in our church kind of running off on their own, doing their own thing. So from the very beginning, very get-go, I asked for a staff member to be over our ministry, over me, over our ministry. So we knew, had a way to report and uh, just start, start off that way for sure. So taking the lead team. There's a great, great quote here from Greg Ogden's book, Transformation Discipleship, that you could read that would really be beneficial for sure. As you're leading, always do this class. Always begin with why. I'm sure you've read Simon Sinek's book on always begin with why. It's really so true. Why are we doing this? First of all, it's a command of Jesus. You know, I mean, it really is. In the Great Commission, you know, that, that the one main word, make disciples, is in the imperative tense in the Greek. All of the others, all the other verbs there are present participles. You know, the only one command in the Great Commission statement is make disciples of all the nations. So it's command. Secondly, because of the uh, spiritual level of our churches, we desperately need to help our people grow up. Group. We, had, we need to help our people grow up. We truly do. Uh, the, old, the old phrase, a mile wide and an inch deep, you know, it just happens way, way too often. And I promise you, I'm up here, I'm standing up here, walking out on, on the plank here. I, I'm promising you that if you will find a way to get men and women into formal D groups with trained leaders, it will transform your church. Maybe not the first year or the second year, but I'm telling you, on down the line, your church will be incredibly impacted and transformed by the very things that we're talking about here, for sure. So th th that, in essence, is why we would, you know, why we would want to do this. The background, number five, a good discipling experience always begins with effective recruiting. And let me just mention a word to you about recruiting your first group, and then all the groups after that. The way that you recruit the people in your group will determine whether your group is successful or not. It doesn't start with your first meeting. It starts with your recruiting people, how you recruit them. I call somebody. I actually start in April or May, and I begin praying this prayer. Lord, send me five or six men who are hungry, who are available, and who are teachable. Those three things, hungry, available, and teachable. You know, take me to men, lead me to men who, who, who this would apply to. And you all, I just tell you, every year the Lord answers that prayer. 
every time. Now, one fact you should know is that this last year, I think I invited 15 men to be in the group, 15 different men, and seven said yes. Because of the level of commitment, and this is not like a life group, it's not a Sunday school class. It's a high level of commitment, high accountability, for sure, and, uh, and not every man has the bandwidth or the time to do this. And that's fine. Uh, I talked to my chiropractor, gr- a great Christian, great guy. I said to him, Tommy, I want you to um, consider being in a, a life, being in a discipling group with me. I gave him the covenant over lunch. We talked about it. He called me and said, Dave, I've just bought 30 acres. I have a brand new house going up and two barns. My wife just had a baby. And I, I really don't think I can take anything else on. And I said to him, you're, you're right. You know, you, you really should not do this right now. Uh, but I will tell you this, I, I will come around, I'll circle around a year from now, and, and I'll be knocking on your door again. And he, he said, great, do that. I, and I may not be do, able to do it next year, but I will some year when I get my life under control. And he's still on my list. You know, um, Please don't ever try to talk someone into, um, in, into being in your group. If they tell you they can't do it, they're, they're telling you the truth. They can't do it, and don't, don't try to talk them into it. Just leave them on the list. You're going to go after next year, and just keep praying for them, praying for that, uh, that opportunity. So you pray. I pray all summer long. God brings me five or six, seven men, and, uh, and that, that's how I know who I'm supposed to be working with uh, that, that time. The way you recruit somebody, though, is you call them. You meet them face-to-face, okay, coffee, lunch, something like that. I take a copy of our covenant and if you would like to come to my next next le- session in our last last group, I'll hand out. I'll give you a handout with all of the forms: a copy of the covenant, a copy of the study forum that uh, guys get a, a book of, and uh, give you the, those things that might be helpful to you. If you can't come to that group, email me at davidroadcup18 at gmail. D- no periods. davidroadcup18 at gmail, and I'll I'll send you the forms if you can't come to this uh, this next section. I say to the brother I'm talking to, this is what we're going to do. It's very unique. It's un- unlike anything else in the church. Just asking you to j- meet with me for 10 months every week, but Thanksgiving week and two weeks of Christmas. We'll meet for 10 months and you'll have the assignment of reading one or two chapters of Scripture a day. And then there's a book, a booklet that you'll get that has a form for every, scri- every Scripture that you read for the entire time. And there are two discovery questions on this form, each of the slots. Number one, what did God say to me of great significance in this chapter I just read? And just write one sentence. You don't even need to write a paragraph. Just tell us what you got out of that chapter. Second question is, how can I live this out in my daily life this week? And again, just one, one sentence is all you need, you know. And you all so neat, I can sit at the table, head of our, our table where we meet, and everybody's got their notebooks out on the table. I can see what everybody's written. And we said, just write a sentence or two. And guys will fill up the entire area and write down the sides of the columns. And, you know, it's so exciting to see them, see them doing that. And we also have a retreat every year. We have a great big Christmas blowout dinner with a white elephant gift exchange in my house with your wife. Bring, bring your spouses with you. Uh, we'll do some other things. A, gr- a really nice barbecue restaurant opened up in Covington just north of where we live. Right next door to that is an axe-throwing place. <laughs> Those guys went, hey, how, how, about, how about that? I said, absolutely, right on. Let's do it, yeah. So haven't done it yet. Been, have not been able to find a night to get together. But, uh, but just things like that, you know. 
And on those extracurricular activities, uh, uh, if you can come, come. If you can't, uh, it's, it's okay. There are certain things we offer you. If you can't do them, it's all right. Folks, these people are lay people. They're not being paid, you know. You have to really balance out how much you ask and, 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 and just be careful about not overtaxing. Uh, and you just kind of have a good balance there for sure. So you give them a copy of the covenant. You go over it with them. Say to them, I want you to take this home and show it to your wife and have her read it. And then I want you to take two or three days and pray. And then I'll call you a couple of days from now and just ask you uh, thumbs up or thumbs down. Many of the guys say, okay, I don't need to do any of that. I'm in. Sign me up. This, I really want this. And I say to them, great. Okay, now, but before we actually do that, do this. Do, do show your wife and talk to her. And I just want you to spend a couple of days in prayer over this. This is uh, quite possibly a level of commitment that you've never been asked to do before. And if you sign your name on the dotted line, which we all will our first meeting, you are taking a vow to God that you will not go to bed at night until you have done your reading and filled out your form. Okay. You know, I said that, and then y'all, we started our group it, it, about a month after we started. I, I was on the, I was on the road, got up at four o'clock that morning, you know, finally got home about 1230 that night. I had not had my, my reading or filled out my form. And I remember saying, God, come on, you know, just a little break here, you know. I thought, you know what, man, you, you lead by example. So I put my suitcase away, turned on the light down in the family room and, sat down and did my reading and filled out my two questions, you know. I mean, just leading by example and all of that. So you let them know all of that and pray about this. If you're willing to make this commitment, you know, here's our first meeting. I'll call you, come to our first meeting, and we'll get started. And uh, what I found out is if you let the guys know in advance what the commitment is, uh, it, it just works out fine. Somebody says, how, how do you get all these guys to come to your retreat in the spring? Like all of them show up. You know, yeah, it's because we explained to them before they ever signed up that they needed to need, needed to be at a couple of things that we do for sure. Unless you're working out of town or sick, you need to be there for sure. And so everybody just just um, uh, shows up because they agreed that they would. Another high value we have is to be on time for every one of our meetings. We have 90 minutes. 90, please do not walk in here five minutes after we start. Every one, every one of you has the ability to be on time if you want to be on time. So don't, don't be jerking us around here. We're all going to be here five minutes beforehand. You know, you know, if you share that and set that expectation, everybody's there at five till seven. You know, they, they really are. It's just incredible. Yes, sir. So you, you start praying in April and May, and you say you start in September. When... Mm -hmm. Do you personally start doing the uh, the personal recruitment and and because I, I just you know asking somebody in June for something in September mm -hmm. you know when what does that schedule play out like Yeah, it's 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 a very good detailed question. Really, the question was uh, if you start praying in April or May and you start meeting in September, when do you actually start making the asks of the people that you're going to work with? Normally, for me, it's probably middle of July, first of August. Somewhere around there, I just begin, begin approaching guys and telling them, you know, our first meeting will be uh, the 15th of September, but I just want to invite you now and, and have you think about it, and we'd like to have you sign up early here. Yeah, so I, I'd probably start middle of the summer and begin making the asks, something like that. Yeah. 
So, so class, once you have people recruited and they've said yes, you know, then, then you're ready to go. Once I had my group together, you just continue, class. Just pray every day. Pray daily for the men or the women in your group. That God will work in their lives specifically to really bring Jesus into their hearts at a very deep level. And someone might say, well, why do you have such a detailed process here? Well, it comes down to this. The way you recruit your people will determine the success of your group. So careful recruitment is really a major, major piece. Number six in our outline is recruiting and encouraging disciples to disciple others. So in this process of working through your groups, from the very first, very first um, uh, meeting I have, inviting them to be in my group, one of the things in the, uh, in the um, uh, covenant is if I join this group, I will be very open to leading a group myself someday. So from the very first meeting we have, we introduce the idea that you, that you might be leading a group on down the line. We just want to begin, begin developing that mindset for sure. Um, I had a great opportunity at Cincinnati Christian University back in the 80s. I have a major in speech communication from Illinois State University. And uh, they came to me and said, we want you to teach a second speech class. It's uh, in the next tier up. And so what would you like to teach in the communication area? I said, I'd love to teach persuasion. You know, that's what we do, you know, most of the time. And they said, that's great. Do that. You know, so I have to be honest with you and tell you that I was the one who benefited the most from that, you know, from that study. I found out that in the world of persuasion, there are 28 ways to persuade people to do anything. 28 ways. If you take 27 of those and put them all together, they don't have the power of this one way you persuade people, which is absolutely the most effective way of, of, of persuading anybody to do anything. Okay, Anybody know what that one approach is? What it is? It is suggestion. Just suggesting. Suggesting things. It's used on us hundreds of times a day. Advertising, TV, radio, just suggesting you're not forcing anybody to do anything. You're just suggesting that they might want to think about this. So we have a string of stores in Cincinnati called UDF stores, United Dairy Farmers. It's kind of a 7-Eleven on steroids. They have good ice cream, so forth. I, I, I pulled into one. This is a number of months ago. Pulled into this, uh, this store and uh, needed to fill my tank. So I'm pumping gas out there. I have my wife with me. I said, um, um, I, I looked at the, on the pump and it said, this week only, Buy eight gallons of gas, get two gallons of milk for $1.88 a gallon. I saw that. I said, you know, I, I don't drink a lot of milk, but my wife does. So I, went, I opened her car door and I said, do we need milk? She said, yeah, we're just about out. And I said, well, here's the sign, two gallons. for." She said, $1.88, yes, get, get, get two gallons. I said, okay, I'll, I'll get those. So I'm back pumping gas. There's another sign there on the pump that says, this week only. Buy one dip of ice cream, get two, the second dip for free. So I walked back around the car, car to open my, open my wife. It was three o'clock in the afternoon, you know. I said, you, you want an ice cream cone? She said, butter pecan. Yes, you know. So I go in to pay for the gas. I'm walking out of the gas station, you all. I've got two gallons of milk with one hand and two ice cream cones kind of, you know, and I'm walking out to the car and I'm going, wait a minute. What just happened? <laughs> I, came in, I came in here to buy gas, and I'm walking out with half the store, you know. 
Y'all, I'm just telling you that, that suggestion is unbelievably effective. Just, it's just suggesting. So I started using it on my wife. <laughs> I really did. It, it, it worked great. Great, until she went to a seminar where I was talking about this, and she heard me talk about it. And on the way home in the car, she said, now I know. And you just wait, you know. So, of course, the first time she started using it on me, I said, I, I, I know what you're doing. Stop that. Stop trying to persuade me, you know. Used it on our kids. Let me tell you who I use it with now. This is in a loving, wonderful way. Um, the elders of our, of our church. You know, again, there's nothing immoral or illegal about it. Just understanding how the human psyche works. Uh, staff members that I might, might be working with, you know, just suggesting, just suggesting something, you know. Eating lunch with a couple, of, a couple of elders. Brothers, what if I told you that there was a way that we could really, really strengthen and make our church so healthy uh, and just such an, an amazing level? Would you be interested in that? You know, what do you think? Just thought I'd bounce it off of you, you know. You know I'm, not, I'm not getting them up against the wall with their arm behind their back saying, we will have a D group program, you know. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just suggesting, just, just a suggestion. You know, I'm telling you, trust me, it works. It really does. So when I am with a couple of guys having lunch at Chick-fil-A, and I say to them, you know, we have this discipling ministry going on. Both of you guys have incredible ability not only to be in a group, but to someday lead a group. I'm just kind of throwing that out to have you think about it and just, just let it set. Suggestion. I'm telling you, it's unbelievably powerful, and I would really encourage you to just buy a good book on persuasion and, uh, and, and let that really speak to you for sure. Um, in addition to that, making sure that, that uh, people know in advance what it is you're asking them to do, once again, just kind of going over that idea. One of the big things we have done that's really worked well for us is just using co- co-leaders, as we've already talked about, and kind of working through the outline here. Number seven, key aspects of the group, uh, of the leader training, development, and deployment of D-group leaders. Let me tell you what to do in terms of working with the leaders. Let's say you're at the place now where you have, you have five men's discipling groups and five women's discipling groups. A very important point. The leaders of the groups need to be encouraged and taken care of. Okay? So there needs to be somebody who, who is owning the care and nurture and shepherding of the leaders of the groups. It's a very, maybe the most important thing we'll talk about our whole time here. If you take care of the leaders of the groups and keep them encouraged, send them articles, call them every now and then, hey, how are you doing? How can we help you? You know, love on them, cheer them on. If you take care of the leaders of your groups, they will take care of the groups. It's exactly how it works. You don't really even need to worry about the groups. The leaders will take care of the groups if you're taking good care of the leaders. So the rest of our outline here is simply how actually do you do that? Well, here are just some ideas might be a good, good thing uh, to think about. The person who is the coach is an encourager, a paraclete, a listener, a helper. Y'all, the word paraclete is the Greek word that Jesus used when he said, I'm going away, I'm going to leave you, but I'm going to send you another comforter. And the word paraclete comes from two Greek words, para, which means alongside, parallel, that idea, para, kaleo is the second word, to call out. So the word means to run up alongside and call out, paraclete, what Jesus called the Holy Spirit. 
So it comes from the marathon races that used to be run during Jesus's life. They actually ran marathons back in those days. And uh, what, was, what was happening is about mile 12, so to speak, somebody would run out of the crowd when you went by a good friend of yours. And they would have a crock of water and they'd have a banana or an apple or something. And they would give these to you while you're running. They're running along with you and they're cheering you on. Hey, you're doing great. You're, you're over the halfway point. Keep going. Don't give up. That was a paraclete. Jesus said, when I leave, I'm going to send you a paraclete. Your own personal paraclete who will cheer you on as you're, as you're, as you're on your journey here. And that's exactly what the coach of the leaders does. The coach of the leaders takes care of the leaders, checks in on them, calls them, encourages them, takes them out for breakfast. You know, if you take care of the leaders, they will take care of the team. Uh, they take care of the groups for sure. Um, I would try to do as much training as I could. Uh, I talked to the group of leaders we have right now. They're, they're uh, uh, 15, 16 of us all together. Uh, I said to them, you know, I'd like to meet once a month and just check in just for an hour and a half. They said, Dave, you're killing us. We have lives outside th these groups. You're killing us. It's too much. And I said, okay, how about every other month? It's too much. Uh, I get one meeting a semester. That's the way th what they agreed to. And, you know, I said to myself, they, they, these people are volunteers, not being paid a dime for all this time and all this effort. So, so I needed to work with them. But we do have a meeting once a semester for two hours. And we just go over ideas, try new things, share what's really going well in our group. What isn't going well, I have a lot of prayer together, always eat. At every, every one of those meetings class, have food. Food, 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 really. Remember, in the Old and New Testament both, fellowship is always taken in the context of a meal. And there's a reason for that, you know. So for sure, uh, make sure that there are food there. It's just, just a great time. So take care, take care of your leaders. Um, uh, letter E, recruit, recruit leadership teams of two per group to lead the groups, which we've already talked about. Um, and, and a number of these things we've hit already. Under letter H, uh, just a couple of really specific things, if this is helpful for you. Keep the lines of communication open with, with your group leaders. Make sure you're communicating with them all kinds of ways. Contact them, encourage them. Send them blogs through email. It's just so easy to create an email group, you know, and just send them really good blogs from Renew or E2 Elders or... Um, uh, discipleship.org, drop them a blog, a video, something like that. I would pur uh, purchase an occasional book for them. You know, right now, uh, books are inexpensive, so many of them are. There's a book by E.M. Um, e. Bounds. He has a book called Power Through Prayer, and I read that book when I was 19 years old, massively impacted the next 54 years of ministry, you know, E.M. Bounds. I found... Uh, uh, christianbooks.com <clears throat> that they had them on sale for like $4 a piece. So I just bought 30 of them, you know, and uh, just, you know, gave all of my guys one of those and said, hey, read this. This will be a real blessing to you. Uh, just whatever inf information you can put into their hands. Occasional phone calls and notes of encouragement. You know, this is so simple. No kidding. J just pick up the phone and call two men that day or two women and say, hey, Bill, I really so much appreciate your leadership in our D group there that you're running. You and Tom, you know, working with these guys, uh, I, I know that um, you get up early every Wednesday morning, you meet with a group, you prepare, and uh, th thank you for paying the price of being one of our leaders. It takes two minutes, you all. It's all it takes is to encourage sending people handwritten notes 
It's an anomaly. Nobody sends handwritten notes anymore. Yeah, we send emails or texts. I found out if you'll just sit down, it takes like three minutes to write one paragraph and put a stamp on it and address it, drop it in the mail. Um, if it comes with a handwritten address, I'm telling you, people will open it for sure, you know. And just a word of encouragement there uh, as well. Uh, every now and then, sometimes I'll call like two or three of my coaches, two or three of my D group leaders, and just say to them, let's, let's meet at um, Chick-fil-A out on Mall Road and just have lunch this coming Thursday. Are you open at that time? And no big plan, no big um, uh, uh, outline we go through. We just get together. Hey, how's your life? How's your wife? How's your kid doing at Notre Dame? You know, have one of our guys has a daughter playing volleyball. Notre Dame this year, and uh, and, and just just uh, banter back and forth. Maybe some ideas you found that you think would be helpful. Just mention them to them, and uh, do this. Just express the deepest level of appreciation you can for them, and thanking them for what they're doing. You know, we need to pay every one of our volunteers. Every volunteer needs to be paid. We pay them with appreciation, and saying thank you for sure. Celebrate any kind of forward movement that you have. Uh, we have a D group lead, we have a, a, a D group meet retreat once a year. It's a Friday night through Saturday about four o'clock, and we let them know when they're recruited that we're going to do this. You know, here's what we found out about people and time in in our time right now. Um, if guys can can go to work, come home and have a bite of supper, they will meet you at seven o'clock for a retreat. They they want to be home for supper on Saturday night. So what we know is from seven o'clock on Friday until about 3.30 on Saturday, they will give you that time if they know in advance. And so we just take incredible advantage of that every year for a wonderful time of fellowship, Bible teaching, prayer, uh, all kinds of team building exercises we do together. The place we go has an axe throwing course and a zip line. And so we uh, get our guys up on the zip line and throw axes together and you know, a lot of testosterone flowing there, drink a couple of monster drinks together, you know, whatever we need to do. And uh, just that retreat. I'll tell you, you can, you can do more in relationship building in one weekend retreat than in three months of meeting on Tuesday mornings. You really can. They're, they're that powerful. Uh, be sure that uh, you're formally training the guys uh, for sure as well. And um, I, would, I always encourage them to come to the discipling forum. In my next uh, workshop, I'm going to have two of the guys from our program at church speak in, in, that, in that session. One was in my D group for two years and is leading his own D group now. And the other guy, very same thing, a military man, 32 years in the Army, Fulbert colonel when he got out, led to the Lord. He's now preaching uh, in a church up in northern Ohio. And those guys are going to just tell you about their experience uh, as to what happened. Uh, make sure that leader care is critical. And then I want to make sure that you know and I know we need to wrap up. Anytime, brothers and sisters, that you would actually consider doing this and begin to get organized and begin to put the pieces together, let me just warn you, you know, that Satan is a dirty street fighter. He will spare no one or, or, or no situation. You know, if he can't get you, he will go after your spouse. He'll go after your children if he, if he possibly can. You know, just understanding that you are threatening him like crazy when you start your first D group. And he does not want to give up one inch of territory without a fight. So I would definitely encourage you as you move into this to create a prayer team around you and your family. 
just eight or eight, five, eight, ten, twelve people who are close friends of yours and family members even, and ask them if they if they would become uh, your personal prayer team. And that means just once a day, they lift up your name before the Lord and pray for your safety and pray for your effectiveness and for your leadership. So a dozen people every day are surrounding your family in prayer. It's a very, very important step, I think, if you're going to be threatening Satan the way you will be if you put together an effective uh, discipling ministry for sure. So, y'all, that's kind of the idea of how to raise up leaders. Start slow, you know, start slow and go deep. Take your time, you know, give it a number of years. And I will tell you that five years from now, you could begin, the, pro, you, the process has really started down the line of you transforming your church in the name of Jesus Christ, truly. Thanks so much for listening to the episode today, everybody. Up next, we've got one more episode from David Rokup and TCM talking about the five most important things an effective discipling group leader needs to know when leading a transformative discipling group. So you're not going to want to miss that episode. Hey, Nashville people, we've got the City Tour kicking off October 27th and 28th. Head over to discipleship.org and buy your tickets today if you live in the Nashville area. I look forward to seeing you all there. All right, everybody, thanks so much for listening, and I will catch you on the next episode. We'll see you.